to God's word. Uh, we have two passages, one out of the book of Deuteronomy and the other out of the book of James. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. The next passage is James 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is God's word. Thank you, Chris, and good morning to each of you. Really glad that you're here. I want to mention that next week we will go back to our sermon series in the book of Acts. At the bottom of the sermon outline, you'll find next week's passage. We always encourage you to read that before you, you come next week. Today we wrap up a four-week series that we've entitled Formed by the Word. And we've been looking at four attributes of Scripture that Protestants have affirmed down through the centuries. And these attributes are meant to fuel our, our capacity to be formed by the Word. Uh, and these aren't just head knowledge. Uh, we do need a, a high view of Scripture, but we also need a deep experience with Scripture. And if we really understand these attributes of Scripture and approach the Word in light of these attributes, it will fuel the way that we, we approach the Word and how we soak it in. Here's the four attributes. The first is the authority of Scripture, meaning that it is final. It's the final word about every topic that it addresses. Next is the necessity of Scripture. It is needed. If God hadn't communicated to us, uh, we would not know who He is and how to relate to Him. Third is the sufficiency of Scripture, meaning that it is enough. We don't need other revelations. We don't need other experts uh, to tell us, but it is sufficient, the Scripture itself, for salvation and for growing in Christ. And today we're going to talk about the clarity of Scripture, which means that it's understandable. People have pointed out it's a little bit uh, ironic that the theological term for clarity is perspicuity, okay? Use that in a sentence three times this week. 
perspicuity of Scripture means that it's understandable. And this is the way we would say it. God has spoken in the Scriptures through human authors in ways that are understandable. And so we're going uh, to uh, add some nuance and clarification as we, we go through today. But the core idea is that Scripture is clear, it's understandable, because God is a good communicator. And God has communicated through human authors in ways that we can actually understand. And so we're going to look at a number of different scriptures that either teach or illustrate the clarity of scriptures. Before we look at those scriptures, I want to, want to mention one thing that the clarity of scripture doesn't mean. Because you might find you might look at this and say, whoa, wait a minute. Well, one thing, and we'll look at a couple of other things it doesn't mean later, but one thing it doesn't mean is that every single Christian has the same aptitude to read and understand the Scriptures, okay? We have different aptitudes when it comes to literature. By definition, Scripture is something that is written, and so it involves grammar, it involves genres, it involves figures of speech. And I've known people over the years that have had learning disabilities, for example, and, and just honestly find it challenging to read and comprehend sentences and paragraphs and chapters and books. And some of you, I suspect, would say, you know, I learn better through hearing as opposed to reading, okay? And so we have different learning styles. And so uh, if for whatever reason you find it difficult to read and understand the Bible, take note, uh, take heart, because most of the Christians who have ever lived did not have their own copy of the Bible, it was not possible for them to sit down by themselves, read, study, understand it, and do it. Most Christians have used these ordinary means that are still available to us today. Uh, they would hear the word read, hear the word taught. They would talk about it. They would pray about Scripture. And then they would put it into practice. And so I would just, just encourage you with this, this reality that if you are passionate, not apathetic, but you are passionate about hearing God's voice through the scriptures, that God, the Holy Spirit, will teach you and he will give you everything you need to know to have a fruitful walk with Jesus Christ. He really will. And so today, I've grouped these scriptures we're going to consider under two headings, which reflect two emphases of the clarity of Scripture. The first has to do with confidence, and the second has to do with accountability. First of all, uh, confidence. The clarity of Scripture gives us confidence that through the Holy Spirit, we can understand the message of Scripture. If you really don't believe that you can understand the Bible, you probably will not approach it wholeheartedly. You'll approach it very tentatively, skeptically, just with very little faith. But if you believe that God has spoken clearly and the Holy Spirit is committed to teaching you the Scripture, then you will approach the Word with confidence, not in yourself, but in God. Let's consider the first passage Chris read in Deuteronomy 30. <clears throat> in that passage, Moses is challenging the children of Israel before they enter into the, the promised land. <clears throat> and Moses lays before them these two, two options, life and death. He said, if you want to 
experience life and blessing, uh, love God and obey his word. If you want to experience death and curses, then worship other gods and disobey what God has said. And therefore, Moses pleads with them to choose life by obeying God's commands. We come to verses 11 through 14 of Deuteronomy 30. They're very significant when it comes to the clarity of Scripture, because here Moses stresses that keeping God's commandments is possible because his words are accessible. They're near, they're right there to understand and obey. We read this in verse 11. He says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. And for 40 years, Moses had had heard the people justify their disobedience in different ways. And so he anticipates that once they get into the land, that the same thing's going to happen. And so he anticipates them saying, well, God's word is too hard. And so surely God will be okay if I obey these commands, ignore these commands, and then disobey these commands. He said, I'm sure God gets it. And, and, they and, and he anticipated that they might even say, you know, when we were in the wilderness, Moses went up on the mountain and he brought back the word to us. But we don't have Moses anymore. And so the word of God is too far off. And so to anticipate that, Moses says, no, it is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. Look at verse 11. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us? that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And so because God had spoken clearly and Moses had spoken and written what God had spoken to him. The word of God was very near to them. It was accessible. And because it was accessible, it was to be in their mouths and on their hearts or in their hearts. And so the idea is they were to internalize it and then talk about it. That was possible. And if you remember, if you've ever heard Deuteronomy 6, it's a very famous passage. This is what Moses had told them to do in their households. Deuteronomy 6, 5, we read, For you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them. They're to be in your mouth. You're to talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And so Moses says, yes, grown-ups can get this. It's not too difficult. It's not too far away. Grown-ups should have it on their hearts and on their mouths. And it's so clear that children can get it as well. Kids have this amazing ability to understand and appreciate and live out the Scripture. And so this is incredibly good news for us. And it's worth believing as we go to the Scriptures. We talked about the last three weeks about the the authority of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. It would be a cruel joke indeed if it was authoritative, necessary, and, and sufficient, and yet it weren't clear. That would be cruel, but it's clear, it's accessible. 
I hope you've been soaking in Psalm 119 as we've been discussing these attributes of Scripture. And uh, actually, I hope you love Psalm 119, and I hope it's been become the cry of your heart. You may have noticed verses uh, 98 and 99, they illustrate the clarity of Scripture. The psalmist says to God, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And so the premise here is that the psalmist's enemies and the psalmist's teachers do not love God, and therefore they do not meditate on his scripture, his word, day and night. Therefore, they lack the wisdom and the understanding that the psalmist had. And so because the psalmist loved God and meditated day and night, God gave him this wisdom and understanding that people older than him didn't have, people with more education didn't have. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but it is possible for you to have more wisdom, more understanding, again, not because you're smarter than people, not because you have more education than people, but because you delight in God's word and you allow it to form the way you think and speak and act. And this is nothing to brag about, but this is a reality it's accessible. God's word is clear. It's accessible. And if you will allow him to do so, God will give you this wisdom and this understanding. I love what Walker Percy said. He pointed out that it's possible to make all A's and still flunk life. You can make all A's and flunk out of life. But if you have God's word on your heart and in your mouth, you will have a life that's fruitful. No matter what hardships you experience, you'll be like the tree in Psalm 1. It will produce fruit even in the midst of drought. I went to seminary uh, up north of Chicago at, at Trinity, and seminary is basically grad school in theology. One of my professors was Dr. Walt Kaiser, and he said something one day I'll never forget. He said, I want you to know, and he's talking to a class full of people who were getting master's degrees in theology. He said, I want you to know that my father has a better theology than most of you will have when you graduate from Trinity. Why? Because for the last five or six decades, his father has read the Bible cover to cover once a year. God's word is accessible. It's clear. And to those who internalize it, it transforms your life. And Scripture makes clear that our confidence in understanding Scripture, it's not in ourselves. Our confidence is in the God who promised that by His Spirit, in the new covenant in Christ's blood, He will write it on our hearts. A couple of Scriptures, Ezekiel 36 says this, God promises, I will give, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will... Uh, new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Again, in Jeremiah 31, 33, God said that in the new covenant, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And so our, our confidence as believers in Jesus Christ, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, 
And God has promised that by his spirit, he will write his word on our hearts. In other words, it won't be something external out there I'm trying to do. It comes from within. We love God. We love his word. We want to do it. And he empowers us to live out the things that he teaches us. And so the clarity of scripture gives us confidence that through the Holy Spirit, we can understand the message of scripture. Now, let me mention a couple of things that the clarity of Scripture doesn't mean in light of everything we said so far. So the clarity of Scripture doesn't mean that every single passage of Scripture is easy to understand and interpret. It doesn't mean that. You probably read some things, and you're scratching your head, like, what does that mean? For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes this comment about people that were being baptized on behalf of the dead, okay? People were being baptized, on behalf of people who had died. You wonder, what does that mean? Well, D.A. Carson is one of the, the premier Bible scholars in, in our day, and one of his hobbies is collecting interpretations of that phrase, being baptized on behalf of the dead. And he's found more than 40 uh, distinct interpretations of what people think that means, think that that means. And he's narrowed it down to three that he thinks are the most plausible, that his comment was, I really can't choose between the two. And so, being baptized for the dead is not clear. It, it's, it's very opaque. But the core doctrines related to salvation and sanctification, they're not just found one time, as that, as that phrase is, but they are found over and over many times in Scripture. And everything that's needed for life and godliness is very clear. For example, being saved by grace through faith it's found in Genesis, it's found in Isaiah, it's found in the Gospels, it's found in the writings, it's found in Revelation, it's found throughout the Bible. And so don't be surprised that if you come across something in Scripture that you find very unclear or even something troubling, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your, don't let the things you don't understand uh, cloud the things that you do understand that are very obvious. For example, God so loved the world that he gave his unique son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. I come back to that all over and over and over again. Something I don't understand in Scripture? Well, I do know that Jesus loved, God loved me so, not, so much that he sent his son to die for me. Second, the clarity of Scripture doesn't mean that we don't need teachers. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a, a teacher. Uh, scripture itself says God gives people to teach, to study and teach, to give understanding to other people. Honestly, I can't imagine where I would be if there weren't for other teachers besides myself. I mean, I, I have learned so much, and I do learn week in and week out. Many of those teachers are here in this church, but, but other teachers that uh, build into my life. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that teachers are our authority. Scriptures remain our authority. And the best teachers never give the impression that they have knowledge and insight that nobody else has. No, the best teachers explain the meaning of Scripture, and you walk away going, I see where, where they got that. I understand the Scripture better now. And so the best teachers uh, allow you to come away more convinced of the clarity of Scripture when they teach. They don't introduce more doubts and more questions. 
that they explain what God has made clear. And so the clarity of Scripture should give us confidence about God's willingness to teach and about our ability to understand. That's one big implication of the clarity of Scripture. Second, the clarity of Scripture makes us accountable to believe and obey what God has communicated. Since God has communicated clearly, we are accountable for what he has communicated. And you find this beginning in the very first chapters of Scripture, when Adam and Eve disobeyed the simple command to not eat from from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were accountable. And when God questioned them, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and what God didn't say was, oh, I guess, I guess I didn't make that clear. I should have really explained. You will surely die. No, they were accountable. God said, this command I gave you, you, you were accountable. There's, grace was abundant. But he said, in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. And so they were accountable. And in the same way, because God has spoken clearly in Scripture, we are also accountable to what God, for what God has said, what he has clearly revealed to us. And this is not unreasonable. This, is, this, this happens in everyday life. Uh, very common for people to hold others accountable for their words. Parents with children, teachers with their students, employers with their employees. Uh, many of you are teachers, I think, and uh, I suspect that when you give assignments, Uh, you make those assignments very clear, right? And you say, it's clear, this is what I expect, and this is when it's due. And if a student comes to you and they're upset because they didn't turn in the assignment and it's affecting their grade, what do you do? Well, again, you can show them all sorts of grace, but I'm guessing that you say, you know, actually, this assignment was very clear. I made it very clear what I wanted you to do and when I wanted you to turn it in and how much it would affect your grade, okay? I even wrote it down. You can show them in writing. And in a similar way, God, again, just amazing grace. But when he's spoken clearly in Scripture, he expects us to read it, to understand it, and to obey it by his power. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's our redeemer. He's the good shepherd. He's revealed these things we wouldn't otherwise know. These these commandments are for our good. And so it's fully appropriate for him to hold us accountable to what he said. And when you read the Gospels, this was Jesus' attitude toward the, the Hebrew Scriptures. There's six distinct times where Jesus said to people, have you not read something found in the Old Testament. The implication is because it was written, it's something they should have understood and believed and obeyed. I'll give you one example. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees noticed on one Sabbath day that that Jesus' disciples, they were walking through a field, they picked some grain, and they ate it. They came to Jesus, and they said, your disciples are doing something that is unlawful. This is what Jesus said. This is Matthew 12, 3. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only the priests. 
And so Jesus expected them to understand the precedent that was set back in 1 Samuel 21 when David and his men were hungry, they entered into the temple and they ate the bread of the presence. That's the bread in the temple. Only the priests were supposed to eat, but they ate that bread and they were not condemned. And so Jesus said, have you not, when he said, have you not read, he was saying that they should have understood the scripture and they should not have condemned his disciples who were also innocent. Well, let's consider one more passage that presupposes the clarity of scripture. And it stresses that because it's clear, uh, we're accountable to understand it and obey it. This is the second passage that Chris read in James 1, verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And so the command, be doers of the word, it presupposes the clarity of Scripture. God's word is clear enough to understand and therefore clear enough to actually do. And so the command makes clear we're accountable to obey it. But if we only hear it and we don't put it into practice, We're deceiving ourselves. And so he gives this illustration. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And so he's saying these two things are similar. A mirror reveals what is true about our our face. In the same way, God's word, it reveals things that are true about us, perhaps things that need to be changed, but definitely things that need to be done. And James says the person who hears the word but doesn't do it is like somebody who looks at their face in the mirror, walks away and forgets, forgets what it reveals. The implication is that we're accountable to live out what the scriptures reveal. It's not merely information to hear, walk away, and forget. But Notice in verse 25, the blessing that comes to the person who hears and does what is heard. Verse 25, for the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the blessing that Brian talked about last week in Psalm 1. This is the person, this is the blessing that comes from the person who delights in God's word and meditates day and night. That person experiences the blessing, the favor of God. And hearing and doing God's word is possible only because God has spoken clearly in Scripture. And so again, the clarity of Scripture makes us accountable to believe and obey what God has communicated. So in light of that statement, in light of that truth, here's my question for you. Is this the way that you approach God's word? Do you approach God's word with this conviction because the scripture is my authority and because it's clear, I am accountable to read it, to understand it, and I'm accountable to put it into practice? Or do you have the mindset where you say, you know, that's a big book right there. And I'm not sure I want to know what's in it, especially in these few areas of my life. 
And if I don't go to it, then maybe I'm not in such big trouble. Maybe I'm not accountable for what it says back in here. If you and I really believe that God's word is our authority and it's clear, we will be passionate. Psalm 119, passionate about going to the word, gladly going to the word to understand it and to live it out, to be formed by the word. And so the clarity of scripture should give us a sense not only of confidence, but a sense of accountability. Now, I'm aware that some of you right now are sitting there thinking, that all sounds good. And in theory, I agree with that. But I'm just overwhelmed at the idea of learning this book. And, and I get that, especially if you're just starting out in your walk with God, or if for whatever reason you've never established these life-giving habits of the Word. And my... My recommendation, if that's you, is to slow down and begin a steady diet of Scripture and over time allow God to transform your life. And I would encourage you to think in terms of months and years, not days and weeks. All the big changes we make in our lives, they happen over long periods of time. And it's football season, so I feel the freedom to give you a football analogy about the clarity of Scripture. I promise I won't give you, talk about football again this month, okay? So here it is. You know, like many people find Scripture to be bewildering and overwhelming, many people find American football to be the same. Maybe you grew up in another culture, or maybe you just didn't grow up watching football every game, every, every Saturday and every Sunday, every Monday night, and now Thursday night and whenever else they schedule a game. Maybe that's not you. So my recommendation, if you find football bewildering, my recommendation is watch hundreds of football games. Watch it, listen to the commentators, talk to people about it. Invest thousands of hours watching football and you will understand it. I mean, you will. You'll become competent. You might become, uh, you might become obnoxiously competent in football. You'll know more than the players and the coaches and everybody. And you'll have an opinion about every play, every call, everything. And my recommendation, if you want to be formed by the word, is for as many years as God gives you, invest thousands of hours reading God's Word, thinking about God's Word, talking about God's Word, singing His Word, praying Psalm 119, hearing the Word read, hearing the Word taught, and doing God's Word. And if you do that in faith, if you do that humbly, you can become humbly competent in the Word, and God will write His Word on your heart and you will be conformed to the image of Jesus himself. In my mind, that's a modest investment that will pay wild dividends. And so, God, that's what we want. Would you make us people who are passionate about your word? Open our eyes that we might behold beautiful things from your law. 
We pray, God, that we might learn and understand your commandments, that we might never walk from them. Teach us, God, how to love your law, to love your ways. God, not how to, we pray that we would never ignore or never shy away from what you say in your word, but we would learn to love and trust you through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.